Good afternoon, Michael Malice here. Let that be your welcome for the next hour. We have with us, I, I'm really excited for this. One of my absolute favorite people, Ian Crossland. He is co-host of TimCast IRL. Um, and Ian, you are, this is why you're one of my favorite people. I'll tell the whole backstory. I haven't told you this, okay? Right. I'm not a nice person. And the first time or one of the first times I was on Tim, I, I, I'm not, I don't watch podcasts. I don't watch shows. You were there. I didn't know who you were. I knew Tim and Lydia. You started interjecting. I'm like, who is this guy? I gave, I, I thought you were just some fan. I gave you the nastiest look and you just caught yourself. Then as I got to know you, I have really come to absolutely adore you. And one of the reasons why I admire you so much is you are one of the only people I know who doesn't really have a filter. And when it comes to having like conversations about politics or society, I think that's a really good thing because one of the issues I had, I was a business major. And one of the things they taught us is when you're having a brainstorming session, there's no bad ideas, throw it out there. And even if you're wrong, it might spark something in someone else's mind. So I don't think you get a fair rap in terms of how much you move the conversation on Tim's show, because sometimes you throw something out there and it's crazy, but a lot of times you're going to see things in a different way. And I really, really enjoy talking to you both on and off the air. I'm so glad you said, I remember specifically the moment you're talking about, I was sitting on your left and I think, or I might've been further away at that end table and you and Alex were on the show. And I was like, oh, I want to be a part of this. I was like, okay, you guys, you're, you're taking the lead here. And you're like, who is this guy? And I was like, this is, but I remember the first time we met, you came over to Tim's. It was when you wore the hat with the spinning thing. And yeah. we just talked about Judaism uh, before you went on the show. I had some, you were very concise, very open-minded and i the first time i saw you was on rogan i was like is he trolling rogan or is he a dick like i couldn't tell it's and both. It out, yeah yeah it, it turned out it was both but the thing that people don't realize is when you go to tim's house it is like a, a cult because there's lots of young people running around and no it's not clear who does what and who is there to like raise the chickens and who's there to be on the show yeah and i have to be friendly to everybody but like people change like you know they vanish and, and and I'm glad you're there. How did you end up being the co-host? Uh, I met Tim through Minds, you know, Minds.com. We're going to talk about that with second. Bill. Yeah. yeah. And Bill uh, we was ended up um, like getting, what do they call it when someone sponsors, like mine sponsored Tim's videos for a short period of time, like 2017. And then Bill and Tim did an event and Bill introduced us. And then me and Tim, I, I always liked Tim since I saw his stuff. I, I could tell like he's honest and he's, He's going through something that I kind of went through. I saw, I saw in like 2007, I was making YouTube videos and I got red pilled really hard and almost, I lost a lot of friends. I just lost faith in reality. And I saw Tim like getting, it seemed like he was also getting stressed about stuff and like confused. And I, I've been, like I was there. I thought, man, I, not only do I like this guy, I feel like he's on a similar path that I am. So I, not really aggressively, but I, you know, I just, we just synchronized and I, and then it was actually his idea that we should do a show someday. They did the show in the early days, him and Adam. And then when Adam left, he, he was kind of like slightly aimless for a little while and thought, why don't you want to come on and do it? Maybe we can change the direction of the show. We'll start having guests on. And uh, that, that was pretty cool. That's kind of so, how I got there. So does it, uh, you get a lot of hate? You know, everyone on that show gets a lot of hate. Like Tim gets a lot of hate from the fans. Lydia gets hate, her own hate. Seamus get you know, whoever does the show gets hate. A lot of the fans like don't get what you add to the show. 
does that like get under your skin? No, fortunately, I've been making YouTube videos since 2006. So I, I got really, really black pilled and I had to go through the ringer like six, 2006 to eight. I, I really got really, really depressed and, and the comments destroyed my mind. And then I, I had an opportunity to kind of regrow it. It was either kill yourself or regrow your mind. So I chose to go the hard route and regrow my mind. And now I've got this sort of resilience where I don't take it personally, at least not very much, yeah. the good or the bad. I, I've noticed if you take the good stuff personally, then intrinsically, you're going to start taking the bad stuff personally, whether you want to or not. So I kind of look at it as like a social study where they're expressing themselves using me as an object, uh, using the name as an object, the idea of what they think I am. And I'm able, way easier to find joy in what I'm doing. And also in the early days, I was kind of like a bullshit artist, like just saying whatever to get popular. I wanted to be popular. That was the most important thing. So my fans were kind of also bullshit. And that, and that was, I realized later, it's not about being famous. It's about why are you famous? What have you done? And if you're proud of what you've done, then the fans and the people that love you are also people you can be proud of. That's where I feel yeah. like I'm at right now. You know, that's, that's really interesting you said that because I, I had that epiphany myself, or I've always, I don't want to say always had it for a long time, is if you are not earnest, first of all, I don't think you could get far in like the kind of work that we do because people can spot that kind of stuff a mile away. Second of all, if people are going to be liking you, not for your ideas, but for what you're being kind of performative about saying ideas that are going to get accolades, that's going to be very psychologically disturbing. That's when you get kind of imposter syndrome and this kind of thing. Like if someone meets you and they say nice things, you know, you're a fraud. So you can't even accept the warmth so it's a very kind of negative reinforcement loop, I would think. Incredibly true. That's so powerful. And, and had I, well, had I known it, I mean, that's a silly thing to say, had I known it, but that's so right. It is so right. Because I was actually resenting them for liking me. Yeah. I was like, why would you like a fraud? I don't trust you. I don't like you. Weird. Right. And also, why are you so dumb that you can't see that I'm a fraud? Exactly. So that's two things, you know, to, to uh, dislike. It was a real Andy Kaufman phase. I, I loved his comedy, but it was also kind of like a black pill style of being like, I'm going to fuck with people and then they can like, like see if they can see through it. I get it because you've told me you do stuff similar. It's fun and you can spot fools that way a lot of times. But I was also bringing a lot of like negative fake stuff into my circle. So I've, I've kind of washed that away in the last six years or so. Well, you, you must be in a position to give some really useful advice. What do you, would you tell young people who are starting out on social media or, or maybe they're not starting out, they've been there for a while and they are getting like overwhelmed with the negative. And here's the other thing, like if it's 80% positive and 20% negative, it's really going to feel overwhelming because how often in life is the feedback you get negative? Almost never, maybe on a test you'll get a C but in terms of people coming up to you and saying horrible things that almost never happens so even if 20% or 15% of comments are hostile it's gonna feel completely disproportional yeah it would even be less it would be like two three percent I'd have like 18 really good comments and one negative comment and what would happen in the early days was I was drawn to the negative comment why is this person where is this coming from and I would respond to the negative comment and then people saw that they're like oh if I want Ian to respond, yep. I got to do negative. And You're then training I them more. Yep. So, so what I did, I stopped responding to the negativity, essentially, and I respond to the positivity. Even if it feels like, why go out of your way to be like, I love you to someone that says something good, it reinforces that behavior. But it's also a lot. Of, it's, it's also, I think, you know, I, I remember, or I still, it still happens to me. If I tweet at or, you know, message someone who I'm a fan of, and there's many people I'm a fan of, and they just hit like, or they just write, ha ha, that kind of makes my day, you know? So it, 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 it's, it doesn't take much. 
it is so powerful what a kind word can do for someone. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, maybe younger people more, maybe, but I think the human mind is just susceptible. It's so powerful what someone, if someone you respect gives you even an inkling of kindness, an eye, a piece of eye contact, it's, it's changed my life. I mean, I go to a concert and then the, the, the rock star looks at you and points at you when you're in the front row. Yeah. Like, so, but so what do advice it, you know? would you give to people for how to deal with this then? You know, I took a really weird kind of almost unique path. I, I decided what would Jesus do if he had this technology in 2006? I was reading the four agreements or my girlfriend at the time was reading it to me, told me about those. Tell me about Jesus. She was raised Catholic. Wait, what's the four agreements? It's a book of Toltec wisdom. Um, and I, essentially, I don't know if I can even remember all four of them, but it's like, always do your best. Don't ever take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. And then the fourth agreement, I don't know what it is off the look okay. it up. It's been a while, but I think don't make assumptions was a big one. Cause I used to think when people were yelling at me, I would assume that they, a reason for it or, or if, and don't take anything personally, that was actually a big one because when people would get angry at me, I stopped thinking it was something I did. And I realized something they're going through and that's helped me kind of calm down. But what happened was I started making YouTube videos and I started telling my secrets from my past, like, oh, my grandfather grabbed me and hit me when I was a kid or like not hit me, but like grabbed me really hard. And I wanted to avoid him or like, you know, gay experiences I had or like, and I I just decided to, to be completely, not completely, but as honest as I could. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know why I just wanted to help people and, and clear my mind. And it started to clear my mind. And I was like, wow, this is humiliating, but I'm gaining some sort of control of my thoughts. So then I started experimenting with like, Instead of saying words to someone like, hello, how are you? I'd think it. And uh, good to see you. And then, then I was like on the numerology and I'd, I'd think good to see you, then say good to see you and then think it three times and then say it the fourth time or think it once, say it the second time and then think it two more times and see the different reactions because it's more like communicating with body language. Sure. So if I'm going to tell a kid like, hey, if you're going to get a social media, that I will let them know ahead of time. What I was doing was arguably sociopathic because people didn't really understand it. So I wasn't fitting in. It was really, really a hard thing to do, but it helps me kind of humiliate myself, humble myself. And so now it's, it's, you know, other people can make fun of me, but I don't know. I already put it for the most part all out there and I want to help people. I think the intentions maybe are more clear if you're, if you're honest about who you are. I would advise people to be honest about their past in internet video. It, it, as humiliating as it seems, it gives you massive thought control and, and, and power. How does it give you power? Well, it gives you power over your thoughts. I no longer have these racing thoughts. Like what would happen is I'd think about stuff and then I, I would be like, ah, oh, that it would like derail my train of thought. And then so eventually I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make a video about this stuff that's popping into my head. So I'd tell like an embarrassing thing about how I punched uh, a dog when I was a kid or something. And like to talk about and people be like, geez, you're, you're a jerk. And I'd be like, yeah, I know this, this is something I did in my past. I'm not happy about it. But and then after I would make the video, it, I never thought about it again. And I, I started to have clear thoughts. I could meditate for like 20 minutes at a time and listen. That's the big part of this. Now I can listen for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes straight without having an interrupting thought. So it seems like it's, it's very cathartic. Uh, and it's also the idea that like once uh, a secret or like, a, you know, a personal story is out there, you've also lost the sense of control. Right. And that's liberating because instead of it being in your head and kind of bugging you every so often, it's like it's out there. I've set it free. Uh, and now I, I can kind of whatever happens, it, 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 let it happen. I don't have yeah. to worry about this thing. Oh, it's so true that it, it, whether it's gripping your mind or your, yeah. your spirit and now it's no longer the grip has been released. It kind of feels like that. Because the other 
uh, metaphor I was thinking is that it's like having a really heavy, tight backpack on and you've loosened it, but it's not so much a gravity weight thing. It's more of a compression that's released. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's really good. Uh, that's really, really uh, useful advice. I also let me talk a bit about what happened last week. Now, you guys were going to have an event. And then there was everyone I know is trending on Twitter, except for me. And I think that and I, that's the first time I've said that consciously. And I know I'm going to regret it because this is the exact kind of foreshadowing before, like, my house is swatted or like I'm you arrested. Trendsetter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you guys had to cancel an event because there was, in Tim's words, intel of a legitimate or, or a, a death threat. So yeah. how, how did you learn about that? How, how seriously were you taking it? I learned about it through, I think, our CTO or somebody, um, one of our drivers who told me that they had heard about it from Tim. And basically, John Rich, I believe, canceled the event. He wasn't comfortable with the security threat. It was kind of like an impromptu thing. We were just hanging out with John on Monday uh, before John the Rich, show. John Rich, the musician? John Rich, the musician. We we're going to Did he his... win Celebrity Apprentice? I don't know. He, I think I, he, he did. Or he, he, or he could. Came in second, yeah. He's, we went to his house. It's on the Cast Castle vlog. It's, his house is phenomenal. He's got this giant stage on the fourth floor or the third floor. We played music at his house instead of the concert. But what happened was we kind of impromptu, like, hey, want to do a show at Redneck Riviera on Saturday? And we were like, yeah, we didn't have any security planned. There was no, it was just kind of a, and it's, it's just, it's to the point now, I think Tim's empire, his, his business is to the point where you can't just kind of like impromptu announce and yeah. do a huge event without proper security ahead of time. And that's what we found out. If people come and like John was saying, every time you do an event, anytime he does an event, anytime an entertainer does an event, you're going to get threats. Wow. But it's ultimately a matter of, firstly, don't live in fear, live bravely and do what you love to do. But secondly, be intelligent and logical about things and have proper security set up all the channels you need. And at that point for that event, we just didn't. It was just so rushed. And so that was basically where that came to. And, and there's also a bit of serenity, and I'm not trying to put anything out there, God forbid, but if they can get to like a president or somebody else, if someone wants to get to you, they, there's only so much you could do to prevent them. Dude, I think about that. What if, okay, I used to have this fantasy where I'd be driving. I'm like, what if everyone in the world wanted to kill me? How long could I survive? And I'm driving. I'm like, oh, like six seconds. Cause that guy would have swerved yeah. and hit me and knocked me off the road. People know where I live. People know who I am. Like you just got to live your best life and do your best. Abe Lincoln's an interesting example. Cause he pissed a lot of people off. He still lived like that. Maybe to a fault. Like, I think a lot about martyrdom. This has actually been on my mind a lot. Martyrdom lately. Like, Jesus was a big. I'm a big fan of Jesus. A big fan of like Martin Luther King, Gandhi, these people. And and a big part of their story is the martyrdom, and it yeah. seems to give them power. But now I'm hearing like there was a civil suit filed by Martin Luther King's family that the FBI was involved. Did the Roman Empire kill Jesus and just make him seem so? Like, if George Washington had martyred himself, we'd still have a king. So there comes a point where like you do not want to let yourself be destroyed. You need to be. You need to play the game subversively, hire the right security, build systems that not with the intention of upending people's livelihoods, but may shed away the, the malfunctioning systems of the past and cause people to lose jobs or, or finances. But I, I mean, you, we got to do it. It's not like I'm not trying to make Ian Crossland body a king with a staff that when I die, it's all over. Like if I can build a system where now we can you know, get food to places easier with drone delivery or that it's just, I, I I've been sad and I've been upset and it stopped me from accomplishing so much and it blocked my creativity. So I've, I've decided consciously not to live like that and to live in a state of bravery. Even if it's like, like I was an actor for 20 years, even if I've got to act brave, I'll do it. And in, hopefully that inspires other people to do it too. Yeah. Um, wh- one of the, th- you guys have very many different guests and one thing that, you know, I've encountered myself and I'm sure you have, 
is sometimes you could be around people and you might agree with them on 99% of the time, but there's demon energy around them. And I'm not even trying to sound like some kind of something mystical about it, but you and I both know we've been around people that you're like, okay, something is really off with this person. They're not a good person, even though not one thing they're saying is, uh, you know, malevolent or I disagree with. Is that something you've been in tune to, like with the guests? Is that yeah. something you've experienced? Um, uh, yeah, from time to time with the guests. Fortunately, the environment is so powerful, or I was going to say oppressive, but it's so permeable in that room. I think people are sort of in awe when they get there sometimes that people are susceptible to the energy of the space. So okay. if people come in with darkness or stress, it fades away really quick. If you listen, if you look them in the eyes and you let them look into you and listen to what they're saying, people, they relax and people are people. But I'll tell you about dark energy. I had this neighbor, these neighbors, I was back in Ohio, kind of a low point in my life. After I left LA, I left the entertainment industry. I was like, what am I doing with my life? And Bill had contacted me to start mines. But it was this law period beforehand where I went back, lived near my parents. I was waiting tables again. I was like 30. And uh, my neighbors, this guy and this girl, I would in the middle wait, of the night. Hold on. I got to interrupt you because you, yeah. you were at a really important point that could help a lot of people. Because you went from that to being so reasonably well off and, and you have a kind of high profile job and you're, and you're happy with yourself as a person. I know that uh, inside. That's, that 30-year-old, I'm sure, was not happy. No. Uh, I mean, when you have to go back to mom and dad and you're 30 as a male and you're, you're, you're not married, no kids, you're like, all right, I had my shot. I'm sure this was going through your head, those self-defeating thoughts. It's over. Like, what's the point? What would you tell those 30 year olds, 25 year olds, 35 year olds who are in that rut, like how would you advise them to like not give up? I think the first thing is find something to live for, whatever, okay. something, make a picture, draw a cool picture and show somebody, you know, pub be public about what you love. Also search your past, look at your past and, and look for why didn't, why didn't what worked what didn't work out? Why didn't it work out for me? When I think about the entertainment industry, I had to get out of there because I didn't, I didn't like it. I did a Wendy's audition one time and they were like, okay, the line is, I don't care what's in it. Wait, were you great. auditioning for Wendy? Yeah. I was at a commercial <laughs> agent. I was auditioning and doing commercials. I got a few commercials online. There's a orbit commercial. That's pretty oh, funny. Where I, I thought you my had the pigtails. Hi, yeah. I'm Wendy. Oh no, not Wendy. Although I'd be down to play that role. Yeah. Um, let's make the buy up. Um, and when I had to say that, I don't care what's in the food, but as long as it tastes good, I realized I'm, I'm spouting garbage for money. Like I'm not going to sell out what I truly believe. You know what else helped me while I was in Ohio at my, one of my lowest points in my life, I was making internet videos still trying. I, I still wanted to live. And I, I watched one of the videos and I was smiling, but I wasn't happy and it was obvious. So I would advise kids that aren't happy. Don't force it. Don't try and make it seem like you're happy. Just be, be sad. It's okay. Be upset. And pub be public about it, but be kind and listen. It's not about you. Listen to your environment, but let yourself be unhappy if that's what you feel. Ian, that is such good advice because it is so important to be able to say, this sucks. I'm not in a good place because once that happens, like if you, like if I learned how to write by reading a very badly written book and reverse engineering it. It's called Statements by Amy Bakowski. It's a humor book, but there's no humor in it. It's like all written in joke form, but there's nothing actually funny. And I sat down and I reverse engineered, okay, why am I not responding to this book? What is she doing wrong? So in the same way, like if you see a house and you're like, this house sucks, okay. What is about it that sucks? Is it dirty, too big, too small, blah, blah. So in the same way, the first step, you're like, 
my life sucks right now. Okay, what is it about it that sucks? And if you can start fixing one of those things, already the trajectory has changed and you've got something to fight for. It's the first step was yeah. to stop smiling when you're not happy. You don't need to prove anything to anybody. Uh, and years went on. And actually, the, one of the ultimate things that got me out of the gutter of my mind was Jordan Peterson. When I, I was listening and, and listening to a lot of Joe Rogan interviews, it was around the time that you went on Rogan's show. And all of a sudden, Bill sent me things like, look at this professor. He's spitting fire. And it was Peterson talking to these kids outside. It was that first video. And he's telling me to f- take care of myself, just clean my room. And I, he was right. Of course he was right. You take care of yourself first. Jesus said it. Take the plank out of your own eye before you try and take the speck of dust out of your neighbor's eye. And as simple as it sounds and almost childish, obviously, you know, put your own air mask on before you try and secure the yeah. air mask of your child. And so I started taking care of myself. I stopped smoking as much pot. I started letting my body heal. I started eating keto, you know, letting my gut biome heal. Um, I started a research diet. That was a big part of it. And, um, and I really did believe in the movement of minds and doing something positive when I realized like, you know, we can build systems. I don't have to go to each person individually and make them feel better face to face. That's not scalable. That's what I was trying to do in the early days. And it was destroying my, my mind. Um, and people that couldn't get through to me were getting angry at me that I wasn't responding. So it just wasn't sustainable. Then I realized you can build systems that will allow people to help themselves. And, um, it, it, it inspired the fuck out of me, man. I hope I can swear on this show because it's yes, just, I, I really feel it, dude. Well, so talk about building, building minds and, and what that program is. Cause you were uh, trying to get me to, on it. And I don't know, even know, I still don't really know what it is. It's a free, I, I trust you enough that I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's a free software network. That's based off of basically the best things uh, from Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, kind of putting some of the, the video from YouTube with like the, the newsfeed from Facebook with the tagging systems of Twitter. But it's free software, which is like a, a, a licensing thing. It's not about how much it costs. That's silly that Richard Stallman, the creator, called it free software. He's kind of a troll. He's like Yoda kind of. But it means that it's like AGPL3. It's called like Afro General Public License. It's a, it's a software license like Afro, the, like African? Just like it. Yeah. Afro General Public License. But what does that mean, Afro, in this context? I don't know why the word Afro is in it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but well, they'll say there's copyright licenses. These yeah. are copy left which means that if someone takes it, they can, everyone has access to the code like an open source project. But if they want to take the code and change it and make it better, those changes also have to remain copy left, okay. AGPL3. So whereas with regular open source code, a lot of it, you can take it and change it and make it private. Right. AGPL incur- basically encourages or demands that you keep it private legally. And I think that's how you build on systems to make like transparent databases and networks and things. I didn't know any of that when, when Bill asked me to come out and do it, I was like, why are we doing okay? Cause I need a job, but why are we building another social network? We already have Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, but it was then working with Bill. I trust something about it. He contacted me. I didn't understand him, but I trusted him. How, how did went. you have the expertise to do something like this? I, he knew that I, because I'd been doing YouTube videos since I was six, I was like one of the early YouTube video bloggers that I had. I knew how to build the front end of the network. Like what do people, what do bloggers want? Where do they want the buttons? where do they, what notifications do they need? All the, the little intricacies. So I would advise on that, build things in our Asana program, Asana, I'm not sure you pronounce it exactly. And I'd have like 200 different tasks of things we could develop for the company. 
It was like front so, end stuff. That's also so interesting because something else people realize is, as they get older, which you don't realize when you're a kid, I don't mean six, I mean 20 when I say kid, it's that a lot of times things that you're going through is giving you really useful information that is oblivious to you at the time. But as you get older, you're like, oh, wait, I know all this. I know this because I failed at YouTube for 15 years. But as a result of that, I have all this extremely useful uh, practical information about how to what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And I remember it was so depressing while I was there and I can kind of remember that, but I was like just making songs and I was like, this song's good, but I don't love it. But that was just because I didn't love myself at the time. And now I go back and I listen to the songs and they're incredible. They're so good. And now I'm in a good headspace. I can record them now. John Rich was saying the same thing. He wrote like that hundreds and thousands or hundreds of his songs while he was low, like a lot of his big, and they're like, Hey, that's a good song. Do you have any other ones that sound like it? he's got, I got 60 more. Cause all I did was just write. If you yeah. can't control anything, you get a piece of pen and, pen and paper and you just write you can control that uh, um a lot of things with relationships too you know going through i had a bad breakup a really hard breakup because around the same time that i fell out of youtube in the entertainment the acting industry when i realized how dirty it was and just i also broke up with like a girl that i've been with for six years who oh, was like wow. my support system and but i realized over the years it's better to be in no relationship than in the wrong relationship as hard as it is i, I believe that to this day and another thing i realized is you don't I didn't need to seek the relationship so hard. I put my best self out there and then they find me. That's another great tactic, but you got to put your real self out there. Otherwise you're going to find frauds. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's very tough for both men and women in different ways to accept that it might be better to be alone than to be with the person that you're with. That's a big gamble for a lot of people, especially because if it was hard for them to find that person already, you're like, okay, now I'm a little bit older. Like, you know, like there might not be another round two. I better lock into this. And I promise you there's going to be a round two as, as hard as it, but you don't know that at that age. Yeah. And it's, it is stressful. So it's like better psychologically for in the long run, but harder. And maybe you could even say worse in the short run because it hurts kind of like working out, like. You feel worse while you're, well, at least I do while I'm doing the planks, you know, because of course. it hurts, but did you hear that beep just then or is that on my end? That was I on my end, wasn't beep, it? No. Okay. So it's like the pain, you know, the, the temporal pain that you experience in order to enjoy the pleasure of the future or the now again later, which is the same. There's time as an illusion, you know, this motion. Wait, so yeah, talk, let's talk a little bit that time as an illusion. One of the things that we talked about when we, I was on Tim class, Tim cast last time was psychedelics. Now you were. You have a funny story. I want to hear this story. Then we oh, yeah. Serious stuff. Your friend's dog ate a bag of mushrooms. This is hilarious, man. I wasn't there when she ate them. And I don't know how many of them she got into, but he was saying he had like an eighth of mushrooms on that. This is like, I was living in Venice Beach and he had this like Dalmatian dog and she was uh, kind of aggressive. And, and then he told us later, like, oh, yeah, yeah. She got in there and ate my mushrooms. And, ah, yeah. and I'm like, wow, that dog. So what happened was I think she gained some sort of consciousness or sentience and would look at us like. You motherfucker, you got, you treating me like I'm not one of you mother. And like, we'd eat, we'd be at the table eating and she'd look at us like wanted to kill us. Like, I was like, she's so angry that she's not up here with us at the table. And she'd come up and can you imagine if I'm hanging out with you and Lydia and just like, we're not giving Tim any food. And he's like, what, what, what? That's like at a restaurant. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And I, I felt so bad for the dog, but at the same time, it was a dog and it would bite. Like it would like bark at people and snap at people. Like she was very protective and like, that got me thinking about other species that may have consumed mushrooms on their planet and become the dominant life form. Like a wolf, this wolf creature, I had a meditative trance experience of this 
I was letting, I had this magnetic field, you know, we all have this magnetic field around our bodies, the human dynamo magnetic torus. If you look that up, you'll see the picture of it. And I was like looking out into space and meditating and thinking like, what if I let down my shield? And so I did. And I felt this like wolf man notice me and see, see where I was and want to eat me. It was like, it was hunger, hungry to consume me. And it was terrifying. And I thought, wow, what if there's other species out there that have got a hold of the mushrooms first and grown thumbs like a wolf? It's not too far out of the question. Uh, I had this big argument last week with uh, uh, Tucker Max. I was at his house. And the point I had made is that we're, and I think I mentioned this also when I was on Tim Cast, that we're about a year away from corporate psychedelics and how that would be such a disastrous thing. His point is inherently they're not for everyone so that that's never going to happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the way the pharmaceutical industry works is top down. So I would imagine they'll make it whether or not it's for everyone, they'll sell it You're to right. anyone. And people are going to do it and go into the metaverse and go on these crazy psychedelic mind warping daily experiences with patches of that are like slow, slow drip DMT or LSD. And I think it's going to create another species or a multitude of species that homo digitalis or whatever the fuck we're going to call it. But like, People are going to come out and be like, I am Umbrella, Umbrella's consciousness. And they'll have their own language because they're in there. And, you know, you might be even be able to warp time in these metaverse things where, like, you can spend a day in the metaverse, but it's only 10 minutes. So you can learn faster. And they'll come out with all this new concept, concepts of reality. Um, I think that's what is ha- going to happen, at least but, in part. Yeah, but I th- my concern is I think it's very I, – I think conservatives are really correct. First of all, there's something to be said about people with like mental illness, just depression, anxiety, PTSD. Using, I had a friend who had a long de- serious, a serious depression. Uh, then he tried MDMA, and it kind of jolted his brain, and now he was fine, although now he's kind of a Nazi, so that's a whole other situation. But I do think that like the kind of doses that are going to be out there – because look at, you know, to sound like a grandma, like Monster Energy Drink or Mountain Dew, you know, they're going to pump you full of the caffeine. They're not going to be doling them out in bite-sized doses. It's going to be extreme. And I think when you're dealing with the mind and extreme kind of experiences, that is going to have a lot of very negative consequences. That's one of the things about dosing medicine by the pharma- pharmacological industry is they can't give you like one dose. I mean, they can, but it's really inconvenient to have to go back to the pharmacy to get your second dose. Like people don't want to go to the pharmacy 30 days in a row. So they give you 30 days worth. And then if someone wants to take 16 days worth of something, you can't stop them. And the problem with psychedelics is it's not like it knocks you unconscious and kills you. It makes you think crazy. And so people will, if you overdose, I'm talking like the walls are moving and people will go outside running naked down the street. And I, I, I don't know. I think like you were saying, MDMA is such a, a powerful and useful tool for like couples therapy for, for psychological therapy. If it's used in the right environment and you're communicating, a lot of it is about communication. Sure. I took mushrooms this one time and I was playing drums with my friend. This was like in New York at uh, far Rockaway. I had a place out there and I'm not a much, I wasn't much of a drummer at the time, but I was learning from the outside in rather than like counting one, two, three. I was just like, playing what I thought it sounded like. And then I was slowly starting to play it. And then all of a sudden I was playing it exactly what it sounds like. We go to the bar, we walk into the bar and all these girls turn and looked at me at once. And I was like tripping hard. And I had this moment where I'm like, okay, I can be the most popular guy in here. Say, Hey to everyone and go in and be the life of the party, which is the kind loving path. But instead I chose to shrink in 
And then I started to get really upset. We left. I got, I went home. I was rolling around on the ground and like guttural pain. So you're spiraling hard. Yeah. From not engaging my best self. Yeah. And that's these things. It's like one or the other. They, they really, people that have bad trips, I think it's because they're not engaging their best and it's letting, you know, this is what it's like. If you don't incredibly powerful, but people, people can go crazy with or without psychedelic drugs. It really it's. And I think if they're used right, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for, for introducing them to society slowly. So we don't have kids going off and getting bad ketamine on the street or overdosing on LSD and thinking the walls are melting all over them. And what do you think about it all? What do you think the right path is? I hear what you're saying, but I think this is, again, when you're dealing with the human brain and things that have such powerful effects and I am very concerned about what this is going to mean, uh, you know, in, in, on mass. Now there's something to be said for like, you know, there was someone I just retweeted. Who, it was Terrence McKenna. It was Terrence McKenna quote. You know, he had the point that the reason psychedelics are illegal, not because they're dangerous, but because they're dangerous to the wrong people, to the effect of it caused you to think differently and see things differently. And that's, there, there's something to be said for that, but there's a lot of people out there and who are living lies who are either you know trapped in marriages they shouldn't be in, or they have a job that they hate and they're miserable, and they kind of maintain these facades themselves in order to maintain their existence. And when that gets pulled away from them, vis-a-vis kind of the effect of psychedelics, I can't say it's all upside. Maybe it's all upside long-term, but it is very um, jarring in the short and medium term, and not everyone can handle that. Yeah, I think it's it's a neutral tool and can be used for good or evil. Like yeah. the, you know, the berserkers, if you ever heard of the berserker, of course, uh, yeah. it was like a, a Nordic fighter, a type of, but they would wear bear skin. I was reading in that they, they would drink mushroom tea and be tripping balls and run into combat fearless. And they would use it to kill. It would, it would give them courage to kill uh, for good or evil. It depends on what you want to think. I, I'm really into like Terrence McKenna, you brought up in his stoned ape theory that he thinks maybe humans at some point a piece of hominid split off into this like cult and they started eating the mushroom and worshiping the mushroom and consuming it and inbreeding. And then over time they produced literally a new species of highly intelligent thinkers. And that, that that's going to happen on the metaverse, especially as we legalize, like that's why I brought up that cha- another species coming out of this. Um, I find like psychic, I think that we're inherently psychic too. And it's psychic maybe is too vague, but when I was saying like thinking words, instead of saying them yeah. long, long, range communication maybe it's like a slower further type of you ever do that thing where you like call your friend and they're calling you at the exact same oh, moment yeah, yeah, and you, yeah and you get a busy signal it's like what and then you hang up your phone and it rings and it's them you're like they're like i just called you that was that was like pre-cell phone world problems but that was like um I, that happened more than once to me that's cr- that's wild and then you get in the magnetic universe like the electric universe these the thunderbolts project is talking about how gravity is really a form of magnetism like um what would you call it? Like a, uh, not an oscillating frequency, but like a resonating frequency of, of, of magnetism. And like, you, you think about it, they kind of work the same. Like the closer you get to earth, the faster you snap to it, the closer two magnets get together, the faster they snap together. It's real similar. And well, if you think that similar, can you break that down for people? Yeah. Like gravity, uh, the further away you are from earth, the less it's pulling on you. But as you start to get close, it's like a scaling pull. It's actually a push. Gravity is actually a push. You're being pushed towards earth. And once you get close enough, you basically, I don't know if it's the Casimir effect or some sort of effect, snaps you together with it. And that's like two magnets. If you have a North Pole and a South Pole magnet, they're not really pulling at all. But as soon as they get close, they snap. And the Earth's so big, so it's sitting there and this, the little magnet will get snapped to the big magnet. 
Um, and I've seen amazing theories about like uh, a binary star collision that caused the sun to arc out all this plasma that hardened into these like 28 planetoids. And, um, but how does that relate to what we were just talking about with like, about what specifically, but how do you, how does that relate to like, you know, you and your friend are on the phone or something like that? Oh, the magnetic, the frequency, the magnetism yeah. of it, like that there's some sort of magnetic frequency that we're all tuned into and our behavior is like in some sort of magnetic pattern. There's this, uh, the Schumann resonance is this extremely low frequency. It's called the ELF band of the electromagnetic frequency. Extremely ELF? Low frequency. ELF, extremely low frequency. Okay. And it, they notice it in the stratosphere. And sometimes they'll see spikes in the ELF, the ELF, dude. Are we talking about DMT and the elves? Like, and they'll see spikes at like times of great human trauma. And they'll, they'll notice like, and they wonder if that's part connected to the collective consciousness. So that's when I talk about magnetism and our ability or, you know, temperance, temper. I don't know what you call it, but potentiality to, to have these like similar thoughts at the same moment. And I'm, I'm into, that's why I like this technology because I think what it's happening is we're, we're closing the gap with like, if right now I could be having, I could be saying these words to you and just pretending that you're sitting in front of me and you might be feeling it somewhere. If you're out eating or something, you might, but this technology is like enhancing the short, the short range frequency. It's teleporting the short range frequency to you. So I don't need to use long range frequency to get through to you anymore. I can teleport my, my high rate, my, my voice, which is like a higher frequency than my thoughts. Um, and so we're, we've kind of cracked the, the, the magnetic code of reality with electricity and with this, like, especially radio and video being able to record and like look into the past. It's a form of time travel almost when you can see the past with video. Um, we're really, I made, that, I, I made that point. It's like, you know, people hear the term time travel. They, they kind of like roll their eyes, but I said, shopping lists are a time, a form of time travel. It's you telling your future self what to get when you're at the store. Now it's a silly, very one-on-one kind of form of time travel, but time travel doesn't literally have to be, I'm here and now I'm in 1860. It's communicating with different people across time somehow. Yeah. And time that brings me uh, time is like an illusion as it's, I guess the right word is an illusion because it's like, um, it seems like it's there. We've created it to, to represent something, but it's just a bunch of motion. If you think of the universe, like ab- if you're above it, looking at it, everything's spinning, everything's moving around itself and spinning. And that's it. That's what's happening. We're spinning. The earth is spinning the sun. We call it time because it's how many times it spins around the sun, but it's just basically a form of motion that we use. It's kind of a rudimentary like measurement tool or like a, a destination tool. We be there so we can coordinate movement, but it's all about movement and motion. I love the subatomic spinners. Uh, Eric Weinstein talks a lot about spinners and like quarks and things that are like spinning. And you get to, why are they spinning? Why? What's happening? Nassim Harriman has, has kind of talks about like the expansion of the universe. Like if it's expanding, what's, what's condensing? What's squeezing that's causing the rest of it to expand? Uh, I mean, although I was wondering about exp- the expansive universe and if it looks like it's expanding, but what's actually happening is it's spinning around itself like a torus going around itself. So let me see if I can explain this without a visual. You know, if you look at a wave pattern, you see like yeah. a sine wave. Yeah, yeah. If that sine wave turns towards you, it looks like the frequency gets shorter. So let me see if I can write this down and, and show you an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Give me about 20 seconds here. Oh, are you still there? I'm still here. I just lost the video really quick. Let me see what happened. No, I'll be right back. Give me a second. Okay. So 
what I was saying is you've got a wave pattern. See how it's yeah. like a sine wave. When the wave turns like this towards yeah. you, it looks like on a two-dimensional plane, it looks like a shorter frequency. Right. So they say that as a universe, it looks expanding, like the peaks and valleys are closer together is what you're yes. saying. Yes. So it looks like the frequency is, is, is getting higher, but it's the same wave. It's just, you're looking at it from a different angle. So they call the universe expansion. They say a big piece of evidence that says the universe expanding is the red shift right. of space. I think when frequency goes up, the color goes towards red. So I think what's happening is we're turning around. We're spinning around ourselves. The universe is like twisting around itself like a torus. Uh, you know, and it, what do you mean a Taurus? I don't know what you mean. The Taurus is the shape of, uh, maybe I could pull one up. It's like, uh, you know, the Mac, the sun's magnetic field. It like goes around like this and it like, so it's like kind of like the infinity symbol of energy. Oh, okay. And there's a a special shape. It looks like a donut. It's called the Yeah. Like, cause there's, there's holes at the poles, the Taurus. So if we're on a Taurus on the, the surface of it and we're spinning around it and we're looking at the universe turning it might look like it's getting red because of where we are in the Taurus, the toroidal shift, the toroidal spin. And so it just looks like it's expanding when in fact, it's just twisting around itself. And that we're inside of a black hole that might be possible too. That's twisting around itself. But how but would it, we be in a black hole? If, if I mean, black holes have the extreme amounts of gravity. True. Uh, from the outside, it looks like they right. do. But from the inside, it might look like it's expanding because it's twisting. Uh, it's a theory I've heard, which is very fascinating, that we're inside of a black hole that's inside of another universe that is a black hole that's inside of another universe. And that's why when I talk to God or when I communicate with my subconscious and s- ask it questions, I get conflicting responses because there are multiple universes. So there are multiple consciousnesses interfering with themselves. I like that theory. What, what do you say to people? And I'm, you get this from the audience all the time. Okay, this is just hippie gobbledygook. Stop smoking weed and reading, uh, you know, these silly books. Sometimes what I, 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 for a while I was like, oh, maybe I'm an idiot. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. If I'm listening to two people talking in Spanish and I don't understand what they're saying and I tell them that they're dumb because they're not making any sense, right. I'm the one that doesn't understand. So I'm not asking people to understand, but at least consider, you know, you might be the one that doesn't understand. So I might be wrong words, too. I never know. We should have the upside down question marks. At the beginning and the end of the <laughs> si, siempre. Is that the right word? But also, it's also um, kind of a cue to, to look at the way I'm communicating and maybe refine it so that it, it can be a little more clear. I, sometimes, think, the, I yeah. think the issue is you're dealing in contexts that are so outside the mainstream and that have been regarded as so derisively by mainstream thought that as soon as you start talking about any of this stuff, most people have been trained to tune out. And then when you're using concepts and terms that they're not familiar with, that validates for them that you're not, you're just talking gibberish. Yep. If you don't understand the word, the definition of the word, it's then it's almost impossible to follow the story. It's cool when you can, when you can just, what I do is I, I create a placeholder. A lot of times when I'm thinking and listening, I, I'm imagining shapes kind of moving together. And when a word comes up that I don't understand, I treat it like a placeholder of a shape. And I'm like, I see how it fits into the conversation. So I'll kind of imagine, I understand the value of what that word is right now. And then if fortunately, if I'm by a computer, I can type it and look it up define it and then get back to the conversation in a conversation i'll ask the person but if i'm like watching a show or a movie i'll just create like a placeholder concept of what it might mean and then hopefully so, get to it later let's talk a bit about uh minds like where is it now are you still involved with the project no no i'm not 
Uh, I don't work for the company at the moment. I'm a co-owner and a okay. co-creator, like a founder of it. It's taken a couple rounds of investment. I know I had at least one big round with Patrick. Um, Patrick, uh, I didn't, I never met him, but he's a guy who created Overstock. I think he was the founder of Overstock.com. Oh, wow, okay. Patrick Byrne and Medici Ventures. That was the first big round of investment or maybe the second public, like outside of um, John, who's one of the co-founders. He did a personal investment to get it off the ground. And I think they might've done another round. It's doing really well now. Since mine spun up the mines token, it's given people like with MetaMask and like crypto wallets, it's given people an opportunity to buy and trade tokens. Yeah, tell me about what that is. So, I mean, people hear crypto, they think it's some kind of Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Some of them are. Yeah, and sure. it's, it's, it's the idea of like a piece of, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert on crypto. I usually defer to the developers and, and okay. my development teams and things like that. Um, it's like, a, well, there's a lot of ways you can look at crypto. In one way, it's just a piece of uh, uh, a bunch of code. like uh, and what's no, called what, the mines crypto specifically, what does that do? It's a fungible token. So you hear NFT, non-fungible token. Right. That means, that every, yeah, that means every token is different than the other one. Yeah. Or you'll have fungible tokens where every token is interchangeable with every other one. Right. Mines token is a fungible utility token. So you'll also hear utility tokens and security tokens. Security tokens have actual monetary value. Okay. Utility tokens have a utility value, which means they do something in okay. addition to the fact that you might be able to sell them. The mines tokens utility is that you can go to the boost in the, it's like a, um, an internal um, marketing thing that you can do on mines, a publicity thing where you spend one token and you get a thousand views on whatever you boost with that okay. token produces utility. And it, it makes it, the SEC sees them differently because a lot of times the securities, if they're not like really combed with a microscope can become dangerous Ponzi schemes. Of and course, so the SEC yeah. is all over it. But or the ones with utility, down. yeah, exactly. The utility, the utility stands. There's always going to be internal value on the network with a utility token. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of giving tokens utility value. I, I, I don't like the, the money grab of it. I thought it's kind of like a, a gold rush, a pump, like you said, a pump and dump Ponzi thing. Yeah, that's but, the thing. Like a lot of celebrities are, are notorious for this. They'll they'll push some some crypto. People invest, then they pull out and it collapses, loses all its value. I am very glad that when I was on Timcast, I encouraged people to buy Ethereum, and after that, it went up by like tenfold or something like that. So yeah, I think it was at like thirteen hundred when you came in and, and we're talking about it. And me and Tim were like, you know, Ethereum is is legit. Ethereum's amazing because it powers the Ethereum network is like a network of cryptos that run on the Ethereum blockchain, um, which I think is on AWS, which is a little, a little sketchy, but in order to like, that's the Amazon servers, right? AWS. Yeah. Am- okay. On Amazon. Yeah. In order to trade a token on that network, there's what's called a gas fee. And the gas fee is like a little, a little piece of a tax that's taken out and given to the miners that are propagating the transfer, like on that's their similar service. to Bitcoin. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. And it's paid for in Ethereum. So anytime you use the Ethereum network and all these cryptos that are on that network, you need Ethereum to cover the gas fee. So that's kind of like a utility. You could argue it's a, it's a sort of, I don't think the SEC considers that a utility, but it's definitely utilize, you utilize Ethereum. Like I always keep a little bit of Ethereum at least on hand. I have a lot of Ethereum right now because in order to uh, provide liquidity to the, net, to the networks for like uh, proof of stake, where you want to, I believe that's proof of stake. And that might, I might be off on that one, but it, to provide liquidity to networks, like this is kind of a thing right now, you put your crypto on the network and then people will trade that and that, that your crypto is used to supplant the trades. And then you get a percentage of the trades and some networks will say, will give you like tokens on top of that as like a, a reward. And then those are all taxable, but that, that's a good way to kind of 
So you're almost like a banker at that point. You're like providing liquidity for people to trade in the crypto space. And in order to do that, you need Ethereum and mines. You need equal parts of both to put them in so that people can trade Ethereum and mines. Wait, something just clicked. So you did some commercials. Are these on YouTube? Yeah, dude. Uh, the, I highly recommend the Orbit gum commercial. Um, gum? Scissor, gum. You oh, know, gum. Orbit, okay. uh, Orbit gum. Uh, the, uh, I guess it's the, the scissors, Orbit gum scissors. I played on the Super Bowl one year in like 2008 or You're nine. You're in this commercial. Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy clipping my, clipping my nose. It's hairs. It's the Perlorian brothers directed it. They're incredible. Love those guys. Uh, Grant, the, the lead actor, spectacular job, Grant. Okay, so there's a video of you clipping your nose hairs in an attempt to sell Orbit gum. You can see my chest. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> you like it. It's great. Hope everyone gets a chance. Check it I, out, I, folks. I'm absolutely going to uh, uh, look this up. What um, Are you surprised at the – this is kind of a softball question, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Are you surprised by how much impact Tim Cast is having – on public discourse? Well, yes and no, I guess. I, it's, always, it's always interesting to, when, when reality and, and fantasy mix, because like the idea that you can sit on, at your house on a computer and talk to a camera and 100 million people yeah. can see you and know who you are is still transcendent to my mind. I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 79, in the 90s, before the internet, before the public had the internet. And the idea that you could play a video game with your friend when he's not at the house right. is like groundbreaking. <laughs> yes. Email shook my world. I used to get all my high school friends when I went to college. I was like, yo, I, I got a huge email list of all my friends. And I would send email stories to everyone on mass emails. It was like, it was like the first social network before network. You could really network. Wait, so I was keeping- Ian, I, Ian, when email first started, because college has got it for everybody else. So I got it like right when email started being a thing. I didn't know what a subject line was. So I would just write like song titles I liked because like, like, cause the emails would be short. So like, I don't even understand the point of a subject line, but I didn't want to leave it blank. If people were like, why are you calling this email? Our lips are sealed. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I like that. Yeah. Song. Honestly, the, the top line of the body could be the subject. Yeah. That's good point. Yeah. See, you see, that was a, that was a, like a kid could have seen. That's a good, uh, good observation. It was true. Remember classmates.com. Of that course, like the first social net. I, I loved that, man. I was at ground zero working September 11th and like classmates was there. I was like, yo, I'm finding all my high school friends. Then Friendster came out. It's like, oh, shit, this is fucking real, man. And then, of course, MySpace, YouTube, Facebook. Live journal. Live journal, dude. When YouTube would go down, because in the early days before Google bought them, they couldn't handle the load and it would get really slow sometimes. And the live journal got really popular. And then. Then I think I think it was live. Was that that was was that video live journal? No, that was more like oh, blogging, no. like microblog. There's no, no not microblogging, blogging. Yeah, there, there's another website where it was video called Live something Live or Live something. I don't live remember. Live leak? No, no, it was before that. It was like 2006 or okay. seven. But it was all. And then what happened? I don't even remember MySpace basically fell apart. Um, but what happened? They they destroyed themselves. They couldn't handle the load. And they, is the that what it was? Yeah, it was always like, down. There, there was like three weeks in like 2007 where MySpace came to a crushing halt, and everyone was using it that was on YouTube. That was like the secondary. But then it was just like, yo, uh, four days go by, you can't use it. A week goes by, and then it's like people are like, fuck this. Facebook was there, and people started using Facebook instead. All it took was three weeks, and it was everyone jumped ship. That was it. That was the end of MySpace.
This is Watkins. Welcome with Bridget Pettisey. I love hearing people's stories of resilience and grit. This is why I created this podcast. We are very excited to welcome Jim Gaffigan, Yasmin Mohammed, Glenn Beck, Tim Dillon, Abigail Schreier, Jeff Garland, Ayan Hirsi-Ali, Sam Harris, Heather Hying, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Greenwald, Sarah Shahi, Colin Quinn. If there's a culture of victimhood, then let's tell stories of grit and survival. Subscribe and listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the show. I haven't used Facebook in like two years and I don't miss it for one second. Yeah, I'm, I barely touch the thing. It's still one of my pop-ups. I have Gab. What do I have? Odyssey. Instagram, Minds, Twitter. I use a lot of it for research purposes just so I can see what they're doing. But sure. I don't, I don't, I really use Twitter a lot lately because everybody, a lot of people are on it and I can interact with you directly. And Minds is cool. One of the problems that I have with Minds is it's anonymous, which is both a benefit and a problem. Uh, and let me thing- tell everyone it's Minds as in the brain, not as in landmines. Yeah, not as in landmines. <laughs> minds. Yeah. Thank you. Hitting that D is challenging. Yeah. Did you, did you ask me a question a minute ago about, about the internet oh yeah yeah the early days of the internet you had asked if uh if i was surprised or yeah about the, the potential the fame and the power of the timcast irl show and tim's movement and i started talking about the internet and how it's mind-blowing still when i think about the technology and how someone can sit down and right but also it's not it doesn't surprise me because logically it's makes total sense it's just the evolution of technology and our ability to communicate the message has become more, more important maybe not more but I think so. More important than who has control of the platform. But what do you think it is about Tim Cast that has so resonated with so many people? Tim is one of the most diligent people I've ever met. It, he's up 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, he's a workaholic. Yeah. And, and just amazing. Even when we're, we're riding and chilling, he likes to like be active, likes to be doing something. And his creative, just he is so creative. Like he is so creative. And, and he's able to, to hone it too, which is what makes him powerful is he's not just all over the place. He's, um, and, and wishing someone would find him. He, he's a technologist. He knows what piece to put where yeah. to en- enhance his message. And he's very deliberate and very honest and open. And, and he listens really well. And he, he allows his thoughts to change over time. Uh, if, if he, if new information is presented to him. It's really, he's a really impressive human. I've loved him since the beginning. And, and, but I know this technology, man, this is so fun. It's unstoppable. This, I mean, everything's, I don't think it's even stoppable. It's like, you know how, how if you can pave over the earth, but you're still going to see cracks where the plants right. grow up. This is, I agree. Happening. I agree. And I, I don't think the regime can sustain itself given how easy it is for people to communicate. What would you say were big moments in terms of the show reaching the levels where it's reached now? Honestly, you and Alex coming on was like, that was the first step to medium tier. If we're, okay. well, I, I feel like it was like, it was pop. It was really popular. And then we took it to another, like another level where it's like, this isn't about YouTube. This is about something way bigger than the medium. And that, I think that was like my first, first realized like we were, this is something more than just a show on YouTube. This is like a cultural movement. Yeah, I, I, I very much leaned into that, to use a horrible expression, that episode, because I was aware that we're making kind of a scene, uh, not like in terms of spectacle, but like a place where people like a little subculture, where people can feel a part of it, 
And it's kind of just like when you watch wrestling as a kid, it's like you're part of that whole scene and you know who the characters are and you have your favorites and you don't like that. I think fed into it very much. You know what makes me nervous about how I just said it's a movement. I read a little bit of Mein Kampf. I don't know if you've read Hitler's book, but he talks about the party and with a capital P and the movement with, I think, a capital M for him. He's all about rallying people to join the movement. And so I spent a lot of my years like, yo, this is a movement. We're creating like a, a societal change. How do you make sure you don't go genocidal? Just good friends that'll humiliate you? I love you so much, Ian. I love you, brother. I've been doing this show for I don't know how many years. And if you had sat me down and said, here's a list. This is episode like 203. Here's a list of people. Guess who's going to be quoting Mein Kampf? I got to tell you, you would not be in the top 50. Yeah. He's real. Just a dude in jail. Letting it out. My friend who's best intentions. My friend from Czech Republic. uh, He's got this thick accent. He's got the best sense of humor of anyone I know. And he has this great quote is, if Hitler's such a bad person, why isn't he in the jail? (laughs) That's a good one. Um, What are you, are you white pilled or black pilled about the future of this country? Is it possible to be gray pilled? I'm very white pilled. What does gray pilled Uh, mean? What do you mean? I took black. I took white. No, but I mean, what would that mean in this context? Well, uh, I see that destruction is part of creation, which is scary because I don't want to see people get destroyed. But what everything I've learned is that people get destroyed as part of reality. It's just destruction is just a natural part. And destruction isn't even evil. You know, you can destruction can be very good in the right circumstances. But it still sucks if it's people you care about or things you care about. That's so it's traumatizing. You can just think about it as as horrific. Yeah. So. I'm white pilled in that communication is is ideal. And I feel like most people on earth, even the Chinese people that are just suppressed by the CCP want to break out and communicate. I used to do chat roulette and I'd roulette into with some, somebody in China and they'd be like, just as cool as me. Like they'd be just on the level, everyone, all people everywhere are on the level. So there's this like desire to communicate that I think underpins being a, our species. That's very white pilling to me that that's like a motor. I mean, they put it in the constitution as the first amendment. They did yeah. the work. Um, I'm not, I go through phases. Then sometimes I'm like, humans are so dirty and destructive. And like, what is the point? Are, are we wiping out half our species? So is that inevitable? And I'm just like, geez, I feel the darkness like creeping in. I mean, I don't want to, I try not to get too dark on interviews and online because it is so dark when I think about like, oh, fuck these people, these, 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 these animals that are just not paying attention and but yep. they're eating and then they're getting sick because they eat so much sugar. Then they're putting a, a financial strain on the system and expect, and then they get angry. And then you see people that are, are unhealthy and then they get angry and take it out on other people. And I'm not saying it always happens like that, but that kind of behavior is very disturbing, but it's been around forever and we got to where we are, but we did it by creating an authoritarian essentially slave state with the United States. We had to, to create the authoritarian state. And apparently we need slaves in order to produce technology. Like we have Chinese slaves right now instead of American slaves. Um, So it's, it's both terrifying and horrible, but amazing and beautiful. Ultimately, I think black and white maybe are too extreme that there really is no, no 100% or 0% um, that there's about an 83% chance that it's going to be fucking epic. And maybe a 17% chance that we drop the nuke on the ground and blow ourselves up. Yeah. I mean, for, for, you know, all the talk that we've been hearing about, um, you know, Trump or and even Reagan, they're arguing about this. The fact is there is a non-zero chance that there's going to be nukes involved 
in Ukraine. And now I don't think it's a very high chance at all. Uh, but the fact that that is something that is not outside the realm of impossibility uh, concerns me, of course, you know, very greatly. Also, it's I know every generation is there's an end of the world people sure, in that generation. Exactly, and exactly. I'm not going to become that guy. I'm not going right. to become the person that's like, when I was a kid, these kids, I don't like the new music. Like, yo, give it a chance. And obviously the world isn't going to end where oh, the species is going to go on. Um, just about doing it in the most synergistic way with other people, waking people up. It's so effective, dude. This technology is like a game changer. I, it, it, here, here's the proof, whether you like it or not. If it wasn't for Twitter, Trump could never become president. Now, you might say it's a very dangerous thing, it's a, or, but there's no question that it is a different thing. Yeah. One kid from like middle America with no money can make a strike up a YouTube video and reach half the world yeah. in like a year or less than it could happen within months or within, I mean, it could happen overnight. It could happen overnight. Who, it doesn't normally, you don't know where you build up to it, but who it? have been like three of your favorite guests on Tim cast you definitely. Okay, I mean, fine. besides you, obviously. Okay. Besides you, Steve Bannon, because oh, yeah. I think I, for a long time in the early days, I was afraid of him and I thought he was a <laughs> jerk and, and the media was talking about him. And I was like, but then um, John Ottman at Mines, one of the founders, was like, he's a really smart guy. And I thought, you know, that's all I need. I, I just need to realize that these people, I may not agree with them. But I may not even know who they are, but people that are intelligent and willing to listen, that's, what, that's the key. And so it wasn't so much that I'm, a, I'm like obsessed with Steve, but it was just the, the breakthrough that I, I had with him when I realized like, man, what is this facade of reality that where you think this person is an enemy and all this crap, this divisive trash. People are people and we really want similar things in reality is be happy to have family to be have enough food and water to be safe protected from the elements have ability to communicate with each other be able to travel freely basic stuff and if we can get that to every every human i think we have a lot less conflict thomas massey also oh, he's because great. he he's an engineer in congress and we need more logical engineers we got to talk after the show that he was on with marjorie taylor green about in, intellect and emotion and how you, you can't have too much of one or the other because he's very intellectual. And he said, is he a on lot the of, spectrum in your opinion? I think, yeah, I think he would yeah. say he was too, like super, super high intellect. And that a lot of people in Congress are running off of emotion. I was like, yeah, it's just as dangerous to run with all intellect. Like that's the Nazi scientists. And I was actually talking to Ben Townsend, one of our tech uh, guys at, at Timcast. And he was saying last night, I was like, what, what do you, what's your ultimate goal? And he said to free people from the machines, because I think machines, though they have intelligence and we're giving them intelligence and outsourcing our intelligence to them, they don't have emotion. And it was so stunning to think like that for a second, Alexa and all these, sorry, if I lit it up, Alexa, stop. Uh, <laughs> um, that they, as intelligent as we can make these things, they don't have emotion and they never will these things. It's, it's beyond metallic electricity. It's probably beyond carbon. I don't, understand exactly what emotions are, what God is, if that's what's impulsing it or, but it seems like these machines do not have it and won't. So that's why they call it like when you have a computer, you have a, a master drive and a slave drive. You call it a slave drive because it's working. It's doing your tasks for you. It's an intelligent machine and the slaves should be the machine, not the humans. That was profound. Um, and so that think about it, intellect and, and emotion and how it's the balance is so key. And, and give me one more name of, people, of someone you really. Michaela Peterson. Oh, she's great. I love it was, her because Jordan's one of my one of my favorite people. I mean, what he did just as his candidness and ability to like shock me awake in one of my darkest moments and then to see 
him start to fall apart when he's getting yeah. off of benzos and Michaela steps up. She's like 20 or something, 22. I don't know how she, and basically takes control of her family's life. I, this happened to me one time when my parents, my dad had an affair on my mom at one point and they were going to break up. It was like over. And I was like, just leave them. You know? And she's like, I can't, we have kids, we have a house. And I'm like, I took them out to dinner and, and sat them both down. And Did you really? Control. How old were you? Yeah. 20, 20, I think it was Holy 20. Holy crap. Yeah, okay. it was that. It was like that or let it let it fall apart. I was like, yeah. what choice do I have? I, I'm go. I love these people and, and just took control of the family. And Michaela, when she was able to be there for them, that that power, man, it's like a testament to Jordan's ability to parent and a testament to Michaela's ability to lead and to meet her in person. And she's so fucking cool. Like someone I would hang out with on the reg. You know, she's like a friend of mine from hanging oh, out she's, in the she's past. She's absolutely great. I absolutely adore her. Um, love her. Ian, we're running out of time. What has been your favorite part of this interview? I think when we started to talk about drugs and God, and I want to go, I want to do it again and talk about just drugs and just God. You are welcome. Welcome.